Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Here we go. Evil minds that plot yeah. destruction. Sorcerer of death's construction. In the fields of bodies burning. As the war machine keeps turning. Death and hatred to mankind. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we go. Once again, the Anarchist World this week broadcast the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au, just in case you don't have a radio, an old-fashioned radio. And if you do, you're listening to it right now. And don't forget, the program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Like the podcast, hate the podcast. Don't despair. Send it to your friends. Send it to your enemies. Send it to Tony Abbott. Send it to Rupert Murdoch. Send it to everybody who needs to hear the anarchist world this week. My name is Joseph Oscar. I'm hosting today's program. If you wonder what anarchy is all about, well, it's not what's happening in the world today. An anarchist society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society which is based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making power. It's a society where wealth is held in common and used for the common good. Very simple concepts using the common resources for the common good, um, you know, getting involved in decision-making power at all levels, local, regional, national, and even international. Okay, we've got a a community announcement. If you're in the city of Melbourne... On Saturday the 8th of August, it is the Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair, 10am to 6pm at the Abbotsford Convent. That's right, the Abbotsford Convent, 1 St. Helier Street, Abbotsford. Stalls, workshops, films, kids' activities, childcare, free entry. If you want more information, go to amelbournebookfair.org. That's right, A, A, letter A. Melbourne Book Fair, all one word, amelbournebookfair.org. So if you've got the day off, you want to look at some interesting organisations, go to some interesting talks, go to the Melbourne Anarchist Book Fair 2015, 10am, Saturday the 8th of August, 10am to 6pm, Abbotsford Convent, 1 St Hilliers Street, Abbotsford. Now, what a wonderful week. Now, look, we may start off with an economic analysis. Yeah, I know, it's boring, isn't it? It is just so boring. And that's the problem, isn't it? We've let the experts, in inverted commas, deal 
with the economy so we get the economy we deserve. And that's what happens when you leave it to the experts, whether they're commentarians, whether they're economists, whether they're party politicians, and the list goes on and on. Now, I want to look at a, a simple idea. And, you know, economy, economics is simple. Everything in the world is simple. And that's the problem. We all think it's all too complex. We can't really deal with it. We need experts to deal with it. It's all complex. It's a complex situation. Bullshit. It's all very simple. Now, there are three types of economies, and we've seen a dramatic shift in Australia as we've moved from one type of economy to another. There are three types of economies. Well, currently three types. You've got kind of a, a nationalised economy where the state owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. The old-fashioned Marxist-Leninist concepts, you know. The state owns it all. That's it. Bingo. Then you've got privatised economies where privately owned corporations and individuals owns the means of production, distribution, exchange and communication. And we're seeing... And then you have what's called mixed economies, where you've got a combination of both state-owned assets and privately-owned assets. Now, Australia was, till 40 years ago, a mixed economy. It was a combination of state-owned assets and privately-owned assets. And there are many important state-owned assets on the 11th of November 1975, with the demise of the Whitlam-led Labor government. We had telecommunications, which were state-owned, under telecom. We had the Commonwealth Bank, which was owned by the state. We had the airports, which were owned by the state. And then on a state level, in terms of a federation, a state level, we had energy production, which was owned by the state gas and fuel, and the list goes on and on. So in the 1970s, we had a mixed economy. End of story. Now, during the period of the deregulation, privatisation, globalisation, um, corporatisation revolution that has swept across this continent over the last 40 years and across the rest of the world, what we have seen is the destruction. That's right, D for destruction. The destruction of the mixed economy. We've seen both major political parties, whether they're Labor, Liberal, whether it's the Liberal National Party or the ALP, the Alternative Liberal Party, do the best, you know, really, really get really excited about fire sales of publicly owned assets. Now, the Australian people made one very important mistake, thinking that state-owned assets belong to the people, not the government of the day or the state. Well, in reality, because no state-owned asset was incorporated in the Australian Constitution, not even the Commonwealth Bank, which was established in 1911, so that ordinary people could get loans, because private banks refused to give working people loans at that particular period in time, 
and they had to rely on usury. So not even the Commonwealth Bank's ownership was incorporated in the Australian Constitution. So Parliament, the government of the day, which theoretically represents the will of the people, were the actual owners, were the legal owners of the Commonwealth Bank, Telecom, the airports, the ports, and the list goes on and on. Of all these Qantas, all these assets which have been privatised, they were the owners, not the public, who had, for generations, funded these state-owned assets through the taxation system. So we saw over the last 40 years, and we continue to see, the privatisation, the giving away of state-owned assets to the private sector. And what we've seen is the transformation of the Australian economy from a mixed economy where you had a combination of state-owned assets and privately-owned assets to a privatised economy where all major assets are now owned by the private sector. So what are the consequences? The consequences have been far-reaching and it's extraordinary that nobody... Nobody in this country, and to a significant degree overseas, have actually looked at the consequences of privatisation, the consequences of changing a mixed economy into a privatised economy. Because there are two important factors about a mixed economy. When you have privately owned assets and state-owned assets in the same economic mix the state-owned assets act as a break on the behaviour of the privately-owned assets because of the competition. You have real competition because a state-owned asset's responsibility ultimately is to the people. While a privately-owned asset, its major responsibility is to create ever-increasing profits for its major shareholders irrespective of the of the human, social, environmental and national costs to the community. So competition in the marketplace has almost disappeared. And what we've seen is the emergence of large corporations who now dominate the marketplace. They are so large, they're too large to fail. And it's impossible for the parliamentary sector to regulate their behaviour. So we see people like Mr Murdoch receive an $886 million tax refund in 2013 by getting his accounts to shuffle a few pieces of paper. All done legally, of course. All legally, you know. They can run you over and then kill you and say it's all legal. All legal, mate. Legal. It was so legal that the Australian Tax Office didn't even bother to appeal the decision. That Mr Joe Hockey, the uh, Treasurer, refused to pass a comment and what is legalised highway robbery of the Australian people. So getting back to the argument, so we now have a situation where the state can only provide for the needs of the people of this country through direct and indirect taxation. In the past, when you had publicly owned assets, most of these publicly owned assets weren't basket cases, we're told, they turned a profit. Even Medibank Private, which was, which was privatised late last year, 
was putting 100 to 150 million dollars into the public coffer every year coffers every year so what we did by privatizing public assets is as i said two things one we removed competitive forces in the marketplace which meant that corporations could basically do whatever they liked to increase profits to their major shareholders, whatever they like. No such thing as a good corporate citizen. The only good corporate citizen is a dead corporate citizen. I mean, you know, there's no such thing. It's an oxymoron to talk about a good corporate citizen. So they put a bit of money in philanthropy. So what? So getting back to the original argument, so if you privatise state assets, you remove competition in the marketplace. And you see organisations like the privately owned banks, the big five, making most of their extraordinary profits, not by acute business investments, but through fees and charges on their customers. Simple. Those of us who are old enough to remember, we'll, we're just dumbfounded by the, the fees and charges which uh, you can be paying these days. And a significant proportion of their profits, over 40%, comes directly from fees and charges. For example, you take out $20 from somebody else's ATM, it costs you $2, if you're lucky, sometimes $2.50. Extraordinary. The second thing it did is removed a revenue stream for the, for the community. Now, obviously, some publicly owned assets provided essential services to sections of the community, and they cost the taxpayers money. But many actually made profits. And some of these profits not only went back into reinvested into the company, but they actually went into the taxation coffers. They went into taxation revenue. So instead of relying on direct and indirect taxes, we could rely to a significant degree on income coming from nationalised assets. Bingo. It's a little bit like the mining sector. I mean, we talk about a mining boom. I mean, it's ludicrous. Here we are. We give away what's underneath the crust of the earth to a private corporation for a peppercorn rent who then exploit that asset, make hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of profits, and we see very little coming back into the public purse. And when uh, a prime minister has the audacity to try to introduce a mining super profits tax, what do you get? The removal of that Prime Minister. Irrespective of his weaknesses and failures as a human being, I mean, the essential reason Rudd was removed from office wasn't because of his personal failures, was because he had the audacity to introduce a mining super profits tax. And one of the images I'll take to my grave was seeing Madam Hancock protesting about the fact that a, a mining super profits tax would actually eat into a $25 billion empire. Extraordinary sight. Extraordinary sight. But uh, something you can take to your grave. Not that you'd want to take that to your grave. It's an ugly thought when you think about it. So getting back to our original argument, privatisation has been a disaster for this country. Not just in terms of the economics, but in terms of the political ramifications because we now have a situation where not one major political party, including the Greens, will look at the question 
of reforming public companies to act as direct competition to the private sector. There's not one major political party that'll talk about forming a new people's bank. And then when we look at what's actually happening in the country, I mean, figures have been bandied around which are quite extraordinary. I mean, we were told last week that one million Victorians out of a population of 5.5 million live below the poverty line. And a significant proportion of these Victorians are children. One million, one in five, live below the poverty line. We hear statistics like people paying 50 to 60% of their income for rent. We hear people paying a million dollars for a three-bedroom house within 20 k's of the CBD, and the list goes on and on. And to a large degree, all this has been allowed to occur because we have allowed the private sector to set the political agenda. Not just the economic agenda, but the political agenda. And when you tie that in with what's been happening in the community, you begin to realise the fundamental shifts that have occurred in this country over the past 40 years. Fundamental shifts which have resulted in a situation where the state is no longer able to raise the revenue that is required to provide for the basic needs of the citizens of this country. It's one thing to say that the that the primary purpose of Parliament is to provide security for the people of this country. But what type of security? Not just military security, but how about economic security? How about the security of knowing that every Australian, irrespective of where they are born or what their parents earns, has access to a basic education or access to basic health care? That you don't have to rely on private donations to actually run a welfare system. And the list goes on and on. And to a large degree, we have allowed this to happen. That's right, you and me, all of us, we've allowed it to happen on our watch. We said, wow, look at that car. I can get that car now. I can borrow money, you know, buy that car, get that new kitchen, paint the house, get a mortgage. Just extraordinary what we have allowed to occur in this country over the last 40 years. But enough is enough. It's time to strike back. It's one thing to provide scintillating or boring analysis of what's actually happening and comment on it, We've got commentators all over the place. You know, most of them are conservative, reactionary commentators, especially in the government, uh, government guild at ABC and the corporate-owned media. But we need to go one step further than just commenting on what's happening. Obviously, there are a lot of things happening in the world, but we need to go one step further apart from commenting. And that's the important thing. And that's why public interest before corporate interest was established a few months ago. 
and the group continues to expand. Obviously, it's nothing more than a pimple on the underside of the uh, public consciousness, but it's beginning to expand. And public interest before corporate interest is all about, simple of putting public interests before the interests of large corporations or even small corporations. It's that simple. Very simple. But obviously we need people to join this organisation so that we will become a significant political force in this country. Similar social and political movements which are emerging in Western Europe as we speak, and Eastern Europe to a lesser extent, which actually are about not rolling back the clock but ensuring that public interests are put before the interests of unaccountable corporations whose major responsibilities to their major shareholders. So public interests before corporate interests is an established fact. Currently we have members in three states. Membership is over 128 people currently. But more importantly, we have had the establishment of three independent, democratically run, community-based branches. All of them currently are in the city of Melbourne, but we can and will expand into regional Victoria, New South Wales, Queensland, the Northern Territory, West Australia, South Australia and Tasmania. Because there are people across this country who have had enough of orthodox politics who are looking for something different, not just in terms of voting in elections, but in terms of being part of a well-oiled political community-based organisation, a social organisation, a cultural organisation that is there to ensure that public interests are put before corporate interests on a day-to-day basis. As we say, we are the people we've been waiting for. That's right. We are the people we've been waiting for. We. Not somebody else, but we. Because for the last 40 years, we have left it to somebody else to do the job for us. And what we've got is the transformation of Australian society into a society with a totally privatised economy, but more importantly, a privatised outlook. An outlook which always puts the fortunes of the individual with assets before the fortunes of everybody else in this community. So we are the people we've been waiting for. Now, if you want to learn more about Pipsy, there are things that you can do. We've got three community-based branches There's the original branch, Pipsy Frankston, Melbourne. Pipsy Frankston, Melbourne. Meets at the Frankston Library every second Tuesday. It'll it'll meet next Tuesday at the Frankston Library, which is the 4th of August. Tuesday, I think it's the 4th. No, 1, 2, yeah, the 4th of August. 4th of August, Frankston Library. Pipsy, 5pm, 4th of August, and then meets every fortnight at the Frankston Library. 5pm sharp, Plain Street, 
Frankston. Meetings are open to members and non-members. Then we have Pibbsey Hastings, which is basically in uh, a little town outside Melbourne on the Mornington Peninsula. Pipsy Hastings, well, mainly in Western Port Bay. Pipsy Hastings. They meet weekly at 2.30pm every Tuesday at Moose Cafe. You like that? Moose Cafe at Victoria Street, Hastings. Now, Hastings is a small, compact little community. It's good to see the establishment after a number of public discussions of a Pipsy Hastings branch. 2.30pm every Tuesday, Moose Cafe, Victoria Street, next to the laundromat. Very simple. And then on the weekend, we had the establishment of a new branch, Pipsy Melbourne North. Pipsy Melbourne North. They'll be meeting on a fortnightly basis, and I'll give you more details about them next week. But the important thing is they've come out with a bang and they're having their first action on the August the 2nd, Sunday, August the 2nd, at 1.30, at 1 p.m. They will be meeting at 1 p.m. at Federation Square at the corner of Swanston, sorry, the corner of Flinders and St Kilda Road. So the Federation Square section, which is opposite the uh, St Paul's Cathedral, next to the uh, ticket place, you won't miss them. They'll have banners and things. They'll be there. And that's their first action, Federation Square, Sunday the 2nd of August, 1 p.m., at the corner of Flinders and St Kilda Road, right down there at that corner opposite from Flinders Street Station. We're best to uh, get a uh, Pipsy action going. So that's three branches that have now been formed. Now, obviously, we are looking for new people to join the organisation, but more importantly, to actually help form branches across this country. So if you're listening to this program in New South Wales or the Northern Territory, or South Australia, or Queensland, or Tasmania, or West Australia, or Victoria, and you want, you want to form a PIPC branch, it's simple, dead easy. We even have a DVD we can send out to help you form the branch. We can give you advice. We usually find that a good way to start is with a public picnic or a, a little picnic. In a public park, where else? Public interest before corporate interest. It's important that we continue to maintain public open space around this country or a public meeting. Get the branch going. Branches are independent. The constitution is easy to access. If you go to pipsy.net, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Don't forget to put the dot net, P-I-B-C-I dot net. You'll come to the Pipsy website. You'll be able to download an application form. You can send application forms to your friends and enemies. And the key about PIPSI, it's an organisation which is inclusive. Now, a lot of people talk about the same things we talk about. They talk about corporate Australia. They talk about the they don't talk about corporate Australia. They talk about the deterioration. For a significant proportion of Australia and their living standards, the type of lives they lead, the opportunity their children can access and their grandchildren can access. But it's always somebody else's fault. You know, it's the 457 visa, it's the asylum seeker, it's the Aboriginal. It's always somebody else's fault. 
But the key is to remember is we all find ourselves in the situation because corporate Australia has become so powerful that they've usurped the role of parliament and we've come to a situation with the legislation which goes through parliament has little, if anything, to do with the welfare of people in this country. So it's not the other that's the problem. The problem is the fact that we have allowed large corporations to develop which dominate every aspect of our activity, whether it's social, whether it's cultural, whether it's environmental, whether it's economic, and they've become so large and so powerful they dictate parliamentary policy. And that's the dilemma. And how do they dictate parliamentary policy? Simple. Look at the laws which regulate political donations to political parties in this country. And you'll find they are so opaque you can't see through them with an intergalactic telescope. Totally opaque. So what we are seeing is large corporations making significant political donations to political parties and we the people, that's right, have no idea which organisation is making which donation to which political party. No idea. Nil, rien, nothing, no idea. And as you all know, he or she who pays the piper calls the tune. And obviously, when you have a donation system which allows unidentified sections of the community to donate money to a political party, it's quite easy for that organisation to put pressure on political parties, whether they're in opposition or in government, to put forward legislation which is in their interest, not the interest of the community as a whole. Because it has to be that way. Because why wouldn't we currently be having a debate about not the GST, increase in the GST, but about how we could ensure that corporate Australia pays its fair share of tax. It's all very well to say the corporate tax rate is 29% or 30%, whatever it is. But the reality is that most large corporations legally pay 2 or 3% tax and people like Mr Murdoch get tax refunds, billion-dollar tax refunds, almost billion-dollar tax refunds. And why isn't it that we never see legislation in Parliament being introduced, let alone passed, that actually changes the tax dynamics to ensure that these people pay their tax? Because it has huge ramifications, huge ramifications. When you have some of the most largest and most powerful corporations on the planet not paying tax in this country, it has huge ramifications, not just in terms of the revenue needed to continue to fund our public health system, our public education system, our social security system, but it has ramifications in terms of small businesses which employ 5 million people in this country, of the 12 to 13 million people that are employed in this country, to actually compete against the corporate sector. 
how can you compete against a large organisation which dominates the marketplace, which is paying a peppercorn taxes legally? It's impossible to compete. But we never see the Business Council of Australia talk about that. It's all about wages. It's all about cutting wages. It's all about creating a low-wage economy. So we are at an important juncture in the history of this country. We have more of the same or we can roll back the changes. We can introduce a mixed economy. We can reintroduce publicly owned assets. We can ensure that the profits that are made in this country are used for the benefit of the people in this country. And don't fall for the furphy, you know, we're giving too much money in foreign aid. That's just a furphy. These are the furphies that exist constantly. All these insignificant debates about relatively insignificant issues which dominate the media landscape on a daily basis and nobody talks about the important issues because to talk about the important issues is to challenge the very people who exercise power and accumulate wealth at the expense of everybody else in this country. And when you have a privately owned means of communication, which is dominated by a handful of players, you begin to understand how the political agenda is cast in such a way as to benefit them constantly. Now, those of you who live in Melbourne, and once again, it looks like everything is happening in Melbourne, unfortunately, if you don't pick up the baton in your part of the world, it sounds like that. Those of you who over the last two years have been involved in the Resist Murdoch's Minions legislative uh, onslaught campaign, which consists of a small group of people meeting in Federation Square at 11.30am on the first Friday of the month, and the first Friday of August will be Friday the 7th of August. Meet there at 11.30am and we walk from there to the Herald Heaven Weekly Times building which is Murdoch's major little uh, foray in the city of Melbourne. Reclaim the space in front of that building which they claim is private space which we know is public space and bear witness to the fact that it's organisations like that which set the political, social and cultural agenda to suit them. To suit them. When organisations under the Murdoch umbrella who are on top tax watch in this country by the Australian Tax Office, right there, number one tax watch, get an $886 million tax refund while making hundreds of billions of profits, you think you must something must be wrong. And when you get police and private security, you know, treating as us as the enemy, as the criminals, criminalising dissent, when you have people who basically rip off this country legally on a day-to-day basis, being given hero status, being protected by the state, you begin to understand how large, how big the task that faces us every day is. It may be big, it may be large, but we have the audacity and we have the courage to actually take these people head on in a peaceful, non-violent manner. 
manner. Because what they hate, what they can't stand, what they can't tolerate, is people peacefully exercising their rights. They love violence. They love to finance violence. Violence is their bread and butter. And when people peacefully congregate outside their organisational headquarters, we act as witnesses to what they are doing. So if you are in the city of Melbourne, join us at 11.30am in Federation Square and then walk on on Friday the 7th of August and walk up to there and it's all finished by one, all very civilised, all very pleasant. Come and join us, don't be frightened. It's one thing having, you know, two or three dozen people there. It's another thing having two or three thousand or twenty thousand or thirty thousand. And that's what this is about. And that's what public interest before corporate interest is about. It's about creating the political and social momentum in this country that actually challenges those who currently exercise power who believe they are born to rule, the Julie Bishop, the uh, Bromland bishops of the world. That's what it's about. You can sit, watch, blink, wait. But the last 40 years has taught us one thing. We are the people we've been waiting for. We are the people we've been waiting for. There's nobody there that's going to look after your interests. We will look after our interests. There's nobody else. You can only rely on the people around you who are willing to take up this issue. And that's what public interest before corporate interest is all about. You want to learn more? Go to the website, pipsy.net. Put public interest before corporate interest in your Facebook uh, search engine and before you know it, bingo, up will come the Facebook page. Fascinating page run by Gillian uh, Collins, a foundation member of public interest before corporate interests. Fascinating page. Have a look. See what's going on. Join a group. No group in your part of the world. Take the initiative. Form an organisation. It's so dead simple. It's a matter of taking action. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Net Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. You can ring me on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.net. Anarchistage at yahoo.net. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. And yes, we leave nobody behind. Bullshit about the computer revolution. There are many people who refused for whatever reason to be part of this garbage. And if you're one of them, don't be frightened to send us a letter. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. We are not the slaves of technology. We are the masters of technology. So whatever form of communication you you use, we're quite happy to interact with you using that form of communication. So give us a ring, email us, look at the websites, write to us, the list goes on and on. Listen to the podcast, send the podcast to your friends and enemies. As I said before, 
non-violent direct action, it comes in many forms, and I'd like to look at a form of non-violent direct action, which is a long history, a long history, and I've been effective. But it's only effective when large numbers of people or small numbers of people in pivotal sections of the community take it up, and that's the boycott, the political boycott. The political boycotts, the economic boycott sends tremors through organisations and with the development of the World Wide Web, there is a mechanism by which to organise a political boycott in a rapid way. Although, historically, whether it's Gandhi's salt march, where Indians refused to pay the salt tax, whether it's the people of Soweto who went on a rent strike, whether it was the people of the southern United States who during the 60s refused to buy goods from shops which had white-only signs outside them. Whether it's the Gurindji who walked off wave, who walked off the uh, Vestes lands in the Northern Territory in the 1960s and camped at Wave Hill and started the land rights movement, where it's the people at Cape Kamanjamgra in Victoria who did the same thing many years earlier. The boycott can have an exceptionally powerful, symbolic and practical outcome because it forces organisation and people who refuse to take action, it forces them to take action. There are two examples currently that I'd like to see implemented, which you can actually do and tell other people. The first thing is, We've all seen Bromland Bishop, the Speaker of the House of Representatives. We've all seen the partisan way she actually exercises her power in the House of Representatives. Theoretically, although the Speaker is from the, usually from the dominant political party in Parliament, they're supposed to be even-handed. Now, I'm not going to look at Bromland Bishop's secret meetings in Albury, which require a little bit of taxpayers' money to oil the oysters. And I'm not going to look at that helicopter trip. I mean, I'll leave that up to more important people, you know, like you, to look at that. But isn't it about time that the Labor Party developed a spine? The alternative Liberal Party turned into the Australian Labor Party in the House of Representatives and boycotted the House of Representatives, refused to participate in parliamentary debate in the House of Representatives until the Speaker was removed and a new Speaker was inserted, placed, put in her place. And people say, oh, horror, horror. Liberal National Party would pass... Well, it won't pass legislation. It gets blocked in the Senate as usual. OK? Simple thing. You lose wages for a few weeks, but you just boycott. Boycott Parliament. Let them talk to each other in the House of Representatives. It would have an immediate effect. And then there's another issue which is beginning to cause consternation around the country. And that's the issue of Mr Adam Goods, Australia of the Year, prominent Aboriginal activist, prominent AFL football player who's given over 20 years of his, uh, you know, um, of his life to the, to the business. For the last, almost for the last year, every time 
he appears on a field. In this country, for his team, the Sydney Swans, we are seeing tens of thousands of people booing the man. Constantly. And many members of the Aboriginal community and non-Aboriginal community see this as a form of racism. See that the reason that Mr Adam Goods is booed is because of racist intent within the football, sections of the football community, because of Goods, Adam Goods' prominent role in highlighting Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander issues in this country, especially as Australian of the Year. And this has gone on for almost a year, constantly. Not because of his playing style, which a lot of people say. A lot of people have got crappy playing styles in the AFL or any other sport. Because of who he is and what he represents. Now, the AFL has been unwilling and unable to tackle this shameful Day, these shameful days in the history of the code of Australian rules football. And I know many people say, why are you talking about sport, Jane? I'm talking about sport because sport in many times reflects and encapsulates feelings which are rife in a community. So there are ways to tackle this which don't require the intervention of the AFL. Wouldn't it be extraordinary if players from both teams walked off the field when this behaviour started? Wouldn't it be extraordinary that if they made the, the, the AFL Players Association took action of using the boycott, non-violent direct action, just walked off the field even if his own team just walked off the field. It would have an extraordinary impact in this country. An extraordinary impact. Because it would highlight what is acceptable behaviour, what isn't acceptable behaviour, and the fact that the players themselves were willing to take action to defend their interests because Adam Goods today, somebody else tomorrow, somebody else the day after. So the political boycott, whether it's economic or social or cultural, is important. But it's important not just for you to do it but to tell people you are doing it. You may have been an AFL supporter and has been going to the AFL football games for years, and you may decide to boycott the AFL until this behaviour is sorted out. You may want to do that, because ultimately it reflects on all of us. You just can't point to one section of the society and say, oh, they're racist, that's why they're doing it. The important thing to remember is, what are we doing about it? We allowing this to occur as we allowed the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation revolution to occur in this country. We just allowed it to occur. We allowed it to run over us, fundamentally change the type of country this is and did nothing about it. It's the same in this situation. Do we allow it to occur? 
It's one thing to say that's unacceptable. It's another thing to put me- mechanisms in place to ensure that that unacceptable behaviour doesn't work. Think about it. The boycott, whether it's a corner shop, whether it's a large corporation, whether it's a football club, peaceful peaceful action, peaceful action that has profound ramifications, profound ramifications in terms of the amount of power you are able to exercise. Not everyone has the money to, you know, to give to a political party to sway their political position, to sway their agenda. Not everyone has the power to go out every day and raise issues in the public arena irrespective of the what's thrust at them. But you, everybody does have the potential to get involved in boycotts, does have the potential to push sections of society that find themselves in a position where nobody is listening to activate and use the boycott as a mechanism via which to one, make a point, but two, to ensure that that type of behaviour, whether it's economic, whether it's social, whether it's cultural, ceases to exist. Because I know it's boring, but it does take two to tango. And what's the point of dancing with somebody who keeps stepping on your toes and kicking you in the shins and laughing at you? You're better off just walking off the dance floor. You know, you're better off. So think of the boycott. Think of it as part of your political armament. You can use the World Wide Web to organise a boycott or begin that. But it's not just a matter of beginning. It's a matter of ensuring that it's implemented. Because once it's implemented, it does have profound implications. It's like throwing a rock in a pool. You watch the waves go out and out and out to the edges. It's the same thing. It's about people who are marginalised, people who are dispossessed, people who've got no political power, people who think they can't do anything, people who don't have the money to be involved in the political, social or cultural aspects of our society to exercise their collective will to change society. It doesn't cost anything. You may have to buy a new brand of beans. You may decide you're going to boycott every fruit and vegetable in a can or fresh you see that is not produced in this country. But the important thing is that you let the people know who are producing these products. You let the AFL know. You let the ALP know you want them to boycott the House of Representatives until the Speaker is removed. You let them know what you require to be done. So think about it. Obviously, and I know I use this term all the time, but the ball is in your court. We've been playing handball, tennis, badminton. The ball's now on your side of the court. What do you do? Do you push it back in my direction? Do you smash it out of the court? Do you catch it and run with it? Well, I advise you catch it and run with it because what have you got to lose? 
what have you really got to lose in the end? And what have you to gain? What will you be saying to your grandchildren in 20 or 30 years' time? What did you do, Dad? What did you do, Mum? Did you do anything to change things? How come things are so difficult for me now? Oh, I was too busy booing Adam Goods. I mean, that's the situation we find ourselves in. So think about it. We give options on the anarchist world this week. You may agree with them. You may disagree. If you disagree, think of some other options. But the important thing is you need to mobilise yourself and don't blame somebody else because at the end, it's ultimately our fault because we are the people we've been waiting for. Nobody else, we. And it's up to us to change what needs to be changed. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia on the Community Radio Network. A big hello to all our listeners across the country and a big hello to our new, new listeners in the north shore of Sydney. It's always good to be broadcasting into an area which has got good real estate prices. That's what the North Shore is famous for. But obviously there's other people in the North Shore who want to hear different viewpoints. You can write to us at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. You can email us at anarchistage at yahoo.com, anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can go to the website, anarchistmedia.org, anarchistmedia.org. You could email us at, as I said, anarchistage at yahoo.com. You can leave messages on 0439 395 489. Don't forget, you're interested in Pipsy, look at their Facebook page. Just put public interest before corporate interests into your search engine and hey bingo there's the facebook page get involved in the discussion want to join download an application form go to pipsy p-i-b-c-i dot net join one of the established groups form your own independent democratically run group a lot of autonomy in pipsy there's a lot of autonomy for regional groups as i said we've got three groups now pipsy hastings pipsy frankston Pipsy Melbourne North. So get involved. Get involved right now. There's no point complaining because nobody listens. Or even worse, they sent you up the right channels. You've got to work up the right channels. And by the time you get to the end of the right channels, you're 99 and dead. Thank you once again for listening to The Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Listen in to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. If there's any topics you'd like me to cover, give us a call, send us an email, let us know what they are, because if you don't tell me, I don't know. Thank you once again. To listen to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Tune in to your local community radio station, not just for the Anarchist World this week, but for all the wonderful programs which we hear on your local community radio station via the Community Radio Network. Network. Listen in next week on your local station. Evil minds that plot destruction. Construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashing.
wash my hands. Oh, Lord, yeah. <laughs>